What's up, friend? How are you doing? Welcome to Plus Ultra. This podcast is for online entrepreneurs who have already launched their first offer and have already made their first sale. You're going to learn the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps that business owners took so that you can truly earn your freedom and design a life you don't need an escape from. We release weekly episodes on Wednesdays. Some are in interview format, others are in monologue format. I'm your host, Mateo Carrasco, but my friends call me Mateo for short. I was a management consultant straight out of college here in Washington. Washington, D.C., and then I worked remotely in 2020 from Denver, Colorado, and all of 2021 from Oahu, Hawaii. From there, life got really interesting. I started my own business, Veloxis, where I help business owners with their systems, their automations, integrations, and I help from prospecting to fulfillment. This podcast, Plus Ultra, is going to help you with the major roadblocks that will appear on your entrepreneurial journey. And more importantly, the people I will interview are other online business owners who have really amazing offers, life advice, and business stories. And with that, let's dive right into the episode. Welcome to Plus Ultra. All right. Welcome, Stephen. Really tan, man. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, Stephen, you're at Really Tan Man. You're the creator of Masa Chips, the Ancient Crunch. You were also a former software developer is that right tell me yeah. a little bit more about your background man it's yeah so after college i well i studied math in college and then i went on to become a software engineer at one of the big tech companies i worked there for two years and uh the last year or so i started working on uh masa and then eventually i got so busy with that and then i quit and as of september of last year i am a full-time chip maker and not the <laughs> silicon kind the the tortilla yeah. that's right from one chip to the next yes is is there anything because usually when a business owner at least the case with me and the, some people i talked about when they create a new product line or new business it's because they are a product of their product they felt the need in the market and they just made it happen is there something with the chip market that you found was really wrong yeah so i have avoided seed oils just sort of inadvertently ever since I discovered health like 10 years ago because if you don't eat processed foods, you don't eat junk foods, you don't eat out very much, Yeah, you just naturally avoid seed oils. But it never became a big focus of mine until about two and a half years ago when I really critically examined every single thing that I ever ate for seed oils. Mm -hmm. And I found out that the pretty much the only thing that I was still consuming that had them was tortilla chips. So mm -hmm. at the time I was single and, you know, cooking is tedious and difficult. And so, you know, bachelor life, it's cooking is a big drag and tortilla chips are a pretty helpful part of what should be a, a good diet, right? Mm -hmm. Carbs in general are the hardest parts of a meal to make. And so if you can buy the carb already made, then, you know, all, all it takes is throw some ground beef on the stove for 30 seconds and some salt. And that's like a meal right there. So mm -hmm. tortilla chips played a big part in my personal diet. Even as a, a health person, I would get like organic tortilla chips. Of course, again, they had seed oils, but before up until now, I wasn't really paying too much attention to it. So when I had to finally get rid of tortilla chips out of my diet, it made my life more difficult. No more yeah. nachos, no more, you know, cheese and chips and ground beef. Yeah. Uh, it made my life harder. And so there was about a year or so there where I was like living a chip free existence. And then it turned out at some point, uh, this is about a year ago. No, about two years ago, actually. Yeah, we're coming up on two years ago. So New Year's Day of 2022 is when the idea for masa appeared because i was hanging out with some friends right after new year's one of them was eating who knows tostitos whatever he got delivered to the airbnb and i started giving him a lot of crap for it and Good. yeah i'm mean, just like one of my friends eating seed oil chips like how how could he how could you can't happen no you know? can't have this and so we got to talking about how this is a sort of classic conversation when like a healthy person says, Oh, why are you eating this? Whatever the, the non-healthy person is always like, well, Hey, at least I enjoy my life. You know, I might not live as long as you, yeah. but at least I enjoy my life. And I'm like, I, I think you're missing the point because the food I eat is actually delicious. Like all mm -hmm. the best things are available to me as an eater of real food. 
you know, yeah. raw milk, grass-fed beef, honey, maple syrup, you know, sourdough bread, you name it. All the things I eat are delicious. It just so happens to be that it's not necessarily easy to make all of them. Mm. You know, tortilla chips are one of those things, right? You could have healthy tortilla chips, but you can't buy them anywhere because no one makes them. Mm. And so I start you know, describing this to him and, and he basically challenges me like, well, if no one else is making it, why don't you go make them? Naturally. And so over the next few months, we we worked on that. I, ex I did what anyone trying to start a food startup would do. I talked to the food startup consultants, asked them, hey, who can we find to go manufacture this product for us? Because that's what you do. You don't make it yourself. And we quickly quickly realized that no one was going to be able to make tortilla chips and beef tallow as I had intended. Yeah. Because the animal fat poses various challenges for the the big manufacturers who who produce most of the food that you see in the grocery store. Mm. And so they, they were basically like, you have to use coconut oil or avocado oil. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not doing that. Those, those would make, those would no longer make the ideal tortilla chip. They'd be maybe okay, but they would not make the perfect tortilla chip. So it's gotta be beef tallow. And then after, you know, a few months going back and forth about this, I decided to just screw it and make it myself. And so I bought a turkey fryer from Costco, some grass fed beef tallow and some organic corn tortillas set up shop in my parents deck in their backyard successfully avoided burning the house down with my yeah. tank and 350 degree boiling pot of tallow uh -huh. and i made the first prototype of moss chips and they turned out great i i really i certainly enjoyed them and then the moment of truth was was really when i fed them to my parents and my extended family who was over i think it was easter at the time and they also really liked them and yeah. So here we have a bunch of people that are much less health conscious than me who, who said they literally taste better than the conventional chips that you can get at, at like the grocery store. They taste better than Tostitos. And like now that that is something you don't encounter every day. Yeah. Most of the healthy things, if you try to convince your family, oh, eat this healthy thing, it's better for you. They're going to roll their eyes and rightly so because they're going to try it and it's going to taste like cardboard or kale or chia seeds or whatever the hell mm -hmm. else is in it. And this was the exact opposite of that. This is the better version. And so that's when I knew we, we kind of have the holy grail of, of snacks, right? It's, yeah. it's healthy enough for the health freaks like me, but it's delicious enough for every normal person ever. And so then we went about making it, you know, at scale, scale relative to that time. Sold our first bag in July of 2022, so about a year and a half ago. And two months later, I quit my job and we've been doing this ever since. Congratulations. That's amazing. You yeah. hit the nail on the head on something so true, though, in the health space that I notice this all the time. People who are health conscious are gaslighting other people into trying to convince them that their food tastes good when it doesn't, like doesn't. particularly kale and stuff. No one like wants that. kale chips. No one wants your sugar-free protein cookies. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't taste good. Just like no, it, <laughs> Exactly. It's inauthentic. And you can tell because you can't really lie to your tongue you can't really lie to yeah. ten thousand plus years of evolution i know so i read some of your content and that you've tried different diets i know you went in paleo but there's something interesting about the last like ten thousand years of agriculture and everything but it's really interesting how your body adapts itself to certain types of foods so like if you do start eating airheads and a bunch of junk you're going to start your gut microbiome is going to like prefer that type of junk food. Mm. But when you introduce like real beef tallow, real fruit, real like food, whole foods, like almost every single human I've seen their lot, their eyes light up that this yeah. is like returning to home. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say people like adapt. Okay. Well they, they do adapt, but not in the sense that is good. They, what happens is people's people become desensitized, calloused, if you will. Mm. So the unhealthy people walking around, breathing in their artificial fragrances, yeah. you know, with the artificial light coming in, the blue light coming in at night, their fluoridated water and their pesticide food, their body is sort of shut down because of all this toxic exposure. And so they, they get to this point where they're able to function, but kind of in this, if you imagine like a turtle in a shell kind of state. They're they're calloused to all the harms of the outside world. They don't even notice these things. Like they they are literally desensitized, right? I used to do this sort of little party trick in college where I would have my friends put fill a glass with tap water, 
and fill a glass with Brita filter water and then fill a glass with like the water that I drank, which at the time was from my Berkey filter with fluoride attachments yeah, yeah. and, and do like a blind taste test. And I didn't even have to taste the water to get it right. I could just smell it. And then, no but they, they would have no idea. They'd be like, what do you mean? It's just water, right? People walk in and people who are like, like the sort of boomer people, like boomer people, the sort of boomer mentality of like, oh, what do you need bottled water for? Tap water is just fine. They literally can't taste the difference. It's kind of sad if you think about it. They are unable to appreciate the nuance. It's, it's sort of like someone who doesn't know a lot about wine. And you get yeah. three different red wines. Like, oh, it tastes the same to me. But like the sommelier can tell you, of course, which field of which vineyard from what year the glass of wine is from. Uh, that's that's the difference. So unhealthy people are desensitized. And the process of becoming healthy is is also a process of sensitizing yourself to mm. reality. And it makes sense why people sort of need to be so unhealthy to survive the modern world. Because it's just like such a pile of shit all around us, yeah. all the time, everywhere, that you have to be desensitized to not freak out just existing in it, you know? Yeah. I, I like what you just did right there. You did it a few minutes earlier. You are putting yourself in their shoes. Like you really do have empathy for like why they're acting the way they're, they are. Like that does make sense. Like fast food, everything, like why are you eating fast? Because if, to take a moment to really notice and be sensitive and aware of what you're eating could cause a lot of people like immense distress. If they're like, what is the seed oil? Oh, they bleached this. Like this come, this used to be used for um, motors. Like this could be like yeah. an engine lubricant. Like that is too uncomfortable. So a lot of people just, like you said, they just go on cruise control and they aren't sensitized. Really good way of putting it. Yeah, but I'm not even saying they're like actively shutting out outside information. They can't even perceive the difference. Like they right. don't know that there's seed oils in the thing, right? Yeah. They just, oh, oh, it's fried food, you know? Like we, when we first started in the, the little kitchen we had for the first few months of making masa, we had our own, it was a shared kitchen. And so we had our deep fryer with the tallow in it. And next to ours was the other deep fryer with the seed oils in it that mm -hmm. they used to make whatever the hell they were making. And without even anything frying, just the oil itself, you could, I could stick my nose in there and smell a complete difference between my fryer and their fryer, right? Complete, completely different. Yeah. Their fryer smells like a sort of carnival, gross, like funnel cake type of thing. And mm -hmm. our fryer, I didn't know how to describe it. It was just so subtle. It, it, wasn't, it didn't even smell like much at all. But again, people can't tell the difference, right? At so, McDonald's switched from tallow to vegetable oil in their fry, for the french fries at some point. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually kind of shocking that people didn't seem to notice. You know, people are still going to McDonald's and still get the French fries. And it's like, like, I, I wonder, like, if, for example, if I were alive at the time and I was like, oh, I, I eat tallow fries at McDonald's. And all of a sudden I go into McDonald's one day, I put a fry in my mouth. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. But apparently the mass of Americans did not have that experience because they're so desensitized to everything. Gotcha. So I got, I got a two prong question. Yeah. Off that. The first is how or why do you think you've become so sensitive to this? And the second one is how can others become more sensitive, build their sensitivity? Yeah, well, so for me specifically, I think I was always, I naturally could always appreciate more of a nuance in the world. So this is well, well before I became interested, like a health person. I think, I don't know, I must have been 10 or 12 or something. At Easter, we had M&M's, classic candy. Um, and my cousins were making fun of me because I told them that I don't like the brown M&Ms. And they're like, what are you talking about? All M&Ms taste the same. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? The different colors, the different flavors, obviously. Uh -huh. Right. And they're like, no, M&Ms all taste the same. They're different colors, but they all taste the same. And I'm like, that is complete bullshit. Another blind, I, I, I guess I have a thing for this then. Another blind taste test. So I made them like blindfold me and taste test different M&Ms. And I did, I think I did 10 of the M&Ms. I still remember this. I got seven of them right on the first try, two of them right on the second try. And so that's like 90% accuracy by the that's second wild. try. And, and all of the brown M&Ms I got on the first try, 100% of them. And they were like, they, they still didn't believe me after it. And they were still like, I can't taste the difference, you know? And I'm like, so mm -hmm. I, I always had the ability to like, 
appreciate that sort of salty. Um, so yeah, brown M and M's because I never like chocolate. That's kind of the the, the oh. whole point here. I didn't like the brown M and M's because I didn't like chocolate, and the brown M and M's taste like chocolate. Gotcha, gotcha. Even though they're chocolate filled candies, like I like the sugary part and not the chocolate part. Yeah, and it's subtle to you. That's that's really interesting. I mean, it definitely became a gift for us and everyone else because now you can really differentiate the flavors. I know you have a lime flavor, yeah. And a lot of lime flavorings are just that they're artificial flavorings and they taste right. a bit like metallic or weird. Right, you can taste instantly that it's like some chemical bullshit. Yeah. And, and it is like the ingredients. There are, there are healthy tortilla chip brands, quote unquote, that I will not name, but we outsell both of them in air one. So, you know, if you, if you live in LA, you can go on the shelves and, and take a look at this. They right. use, so one of them uses uh, lime juice powder and they make lime juice powder by basically sprinkling lime juice on maltodextrin and dehydrating it. And so that's why you'll see in the, in the ingredients, you'll see lime and juice and you'll see maltodextrin. Um, so that's one of them. And the other decided who even needs the limes. Let's just combine lime oil, which is like the sort of essential oil extracted from like the, the lime peel uh -huh. Combine lime oil with citric acid for the sour flavor. Cause acids are uh, sour tasting. And that's their lime flavor, right? There's no lot. Where's the fruit? Where are the limes? That's so crazy. And this became such a problem for us because, I mean, I probably should have done a little bit more research before deciding to make the second flavor lime. But I was like, oh, everyone has a lime chip. It can't be that hard. Next first flavor that we make, let's make it a lime chip. I probably should have done a little bit more research for this because you can't buy lime powder that's made from limes only. So what like, do you do? You can't, well, you can make it, but you can't buy it. There is no way, no vendor on earth that I can just go to and be like, hi, some organic lime powder, please, with no other ingredients. That doesn't exist. It's either lime juice powder with maltodextrin or some weird BS. And so that those are the options. And obviously, we're, I'm not going to accept that. And so we took limes, we bought a bunch of limes, organic limes, and sliced them up and dehydrate them and grind them into a powder. Okay. And that's the lime powder that we make. It's incredibly tedious and incredibly expensive, but that's what we've done. And only recently have we gotten to the size where we're able to pay some seasoning company to like do that for us. Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, even, but that still hasn't happened yet, right? This deal is ongoing. Like we're, we're still negotiating the terms. So like today, if I want lime powder for lime chips, I need to have one of my employees go slice limes by hand and dry them out. That's wild. Well, there's a lot of effort that comes with aesthetics too, and like comes with value. You know, it's it's all part of the package deal. And I like how you're not cutting corners to get there, which is great. Right. I mean, and this is this is the other. I guess another. If we're talking about the sensitivity thing, uh, it's it's funny. So, my you know the concept of the canary in a coal mine. I don't know. So the canary is a bird, and the canary in the coal mine is like basically very sensitive to i forget the specifics but somehow it can tell if there's no oxygen in the coal mine okay and it can do that before the humans can tell and so they would keep canaries in a cage in the coal mine and if the canary like passed out or died they would see it and then they would know that there was some gas leak or who knows what and that they better get the hell out of there because they'll suffocate in a few minutes if they don't Interesting. Yeah. So the canary in the, is like this advanced warning. It's more sensitive yeah. to this potential threat, and therefore, like the rest of the people, look to it to tell them if there's like for if there's some impending problem. And so my co-founder and I have this joke because he calls me a canary because like we'll we'll try all these like not competitors' products or other CPG products or whatever, and like. He's one of those people that can't tell the difference between any of this, right? He has no idea. Lime powder, lime oil, maltodextrin, organic this, you know, no no concept for any of this. Um, he has his other talents, of course, but he doesn't have this this thing. So he calls me a canary. And it's funny because we go on, we travel, we go on a business trip here and there, and I'm always complaining about, oh, this water tastes like crap. We get bottled water and like, oh, I can taste the plastic in this bottled water. Or, yeah, oh, yeah. you don't like the fragrances in this hotel room you don't smell those you don't smell that and he's like no no he does not know any of this or he, he can't even perceive it and so the joke is that i'm the canary and that's like why we're here <laughs> because i yeah. can figure out all the chips suck 
but no one else seems to be able to do that. But then obviously once you make it and give it to people, they can realize, wait, these actually are better, but it required, mm. like they would never go out and seek that out on their own and do that, which is why I guess no one else has, has done this beforehand. Yeah, no, that you're keeping us from passing out in the coal mine. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and as far as other people doing this, I mean, as you, when you get healthy, you become sensitive. Those are, mm. I, I would venture to say that those two things are, are possibly synonymous. Um, cause if, if you think about it, it's like health allows you to utilize the full potential, like the actualize the full potential of your being. Basically mm -hmm. humans can really, they can perceive, they can do, they can appreciate a lot of minute differences. Uh, they can, they can understand all of this. They can create all these things. Um, but they're unable to do so because they're so desensitized to the world around them. They can't even tell if there's a problem. Right? They don't even know about it. And so becoming healthier is the process of kind of getting rid of those calluses, getting rid yeah. of that shell. And it's why you'll see in the health discourse on the internet, a lot of the people who are like that are always talking about moving out to the woods or getting a farm in Montana or moving to Costa Rica or some like natural pristine paradise mm -hmm. because the modern world is not fit for healthy people who are able to appreciate and perceive and appreciate how bad everything is right yeah. i go to the city and it's like i mean it's intolerable it's intolerable for a lot of people but they don't even see they don't they don't notice all the things that are that like people say new york city tap water is the best tap water there are people who drink new york tap water that's right? wild and it smells like an indoor swimming pool to me but they're like <laughs> oh it's it's great water you know uh they they don't notice i wear my red light my blue light blocking glasses when i go out at night they're like red they look like red sunglasses if I don't do that, like the blue lights will, they, they physically hurt. It's like, ow, how do you guys not even tell? And they're just like, oh, you know, it's like yeah, the it's guy in the, the meme with the guy in the corner in the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet they don't even realize that they're like swimming in blue light or something. And he's got his red light glasses on. 100%. Um, it's like that. And the problem, it's, it's not, it's not like it's blue light is more harmful to me than it is to anyone else. It's like, I'm just able to recognize those harms. Yeah. But other people. Can't. And people should, because this is how, and this is like how you actually fix the world, right? People are unable to perceive the problems around them. They don't notice them and therefore they don't demand that they be solved or do the, make the solution themselves. But the more people that are able to perceive them, the harder their life will be basically until they either demand that the problem be solved mm -hmm. or they fix it themselves. Like yeah. I, I think the whole the whole modern and, and this is why seed oils go hand in hand with the whole modern plastic ugly strip mall Walmart gas station highway like plasticization of American life if you will like they all go hand in hand right a a culture of people that can't even tell that their food is fried in seed oils is not a culture of people that will even notice that all of their buildings and dwelling spaces are ugly as hell and made of cheap materials right. Yeah. It goes beyond that, All right? Do people know that their houses are made out of more like basically toothpicks and cardboard? Like almost every American house outside of South Florida is made out of toothpicks and cardboard, two by fours, wood, and sheetrock, cardboard. Yeah. Uh, if you if you go to most parts of Europe, uh, they build their houses out of cinder blocks or and stone and like terracotta roofing and plaster on the walls. It's like a solid thing, but the standard American house. You can, I saw some video on Twitter the other day. Uh, people are just starting to, to realize this, I guess. The standard American house like can't even support the weight of the people inside of it. The video on Twitter was like some woman fell through the floor. Her daughter like fell through the floor of her house. And it's like, people don't realize this because they see a solid wall there. They see a ceiling and they're like, oh, that's solid, right? Mm -hmm. People are not very inquisitive about the world around them. But they have any idea how easy it is to punch a hole through their house, all right? They're like, oh, Make sure to yeah. lock the windows at night. Dude, someone with a razor blade could break into your house through the wall itself because you can get through two layers of sheetrock and some styrofoam insulation with a razor blade. You know, you don't need to break through a window. <laughs> you can yeah. just cut a hole in the side of a house with a knife because that's how weak our buildings are made. And again, people don't notice, or if they do notice, they don't seem to care. And this is like, this is why the problem persists because they're not able to appreciate this distinction and opt for the better version yeah and you really 
wrapped it up together really nicely with that plastification of the U.S. and modern culture. I think like you're very, very wise in saying that because it does seem that sensitivity begets structure, and it begets like for instance, if you are desensitized and you're to your food or to all this, you can become desensitized to like moral corruption or like yeah. you said, aesthetic corruption and all that. That's why I have massive respect to the Amish. They've kept a really central role of tradition alive in everything, even their food and their everything. Um, and you can see the quality of the food. Like people who are living in Pennsylvania or New York, they go out of their way to get Amish products because it is- Yeah, I get, I get Amish milk and cheese delivered. Uh, yeah, we do this for sure. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things too. Like, if you don't have to look that far, we are losing recipes. Like our modern, like day women want to families. Like, we are losing recipes, and it's kind of sad. Oh, yeah, this too. is super interesting. The, the I forget who talked about this um, a few a few years ago or, or something. I remember seeing this sort of analysis that like culture. You know, because we have archaeology, we can go look at some records, some book, some tablet, some burial site or whatever, and try to figure out how people lived. Mm -hmm. um, but most culture is never written down. And culture, like especially the aspects that we would uh, consider culture, clothing, food, um, are two of the more major components of that. Culture is kept alive by women throughout history. Mm. It's like an unbroken chain of like, mother teaching daughter how to make or do whatever and they're not writing it down and so it's like when, when people look at sort of ancient roman cuisine or medieval cuisine or whatever it's always like the arist aristocratic recipe handbook because mm -hmm. that's who decided to write it down it, or it's the um yeah it's like the like the cooking books of the, the 19th century or whatever it's it was it was very or 19th 17th century or 18th century very rare to find written documents of how everyday people are living because everyone just assumes that everyone knows how everyday people live. And yeah. so the things that get written down are not the mundane things, but the sort of fancy things. And mm -hmm. that's, so if you don't have that stuff written down, it got, it's got to get passed down. And mm -hmm. so women are the passers of that down. And right. if they don't do that. We lose culture. Yeah. No, not to be an alarmist or anything. You're totally right. We do lose culture. Like overnight, a generation ago, people say like the peak of American culture was pre 9-11. And you look back then, it was completely different. The tolerances we had and everything. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's just another way of talking about this whole sensitivity thing is it's just having standards, right? Yeah. And people have no standards in anything. And it, it shows, right? You can yeah. like in, in how they dress in public and how they speak, right? Go, go listen, go watch a movie. In the 1950s uh and listen to how they talk like their diction the way yeah. like they, they don't ever even myself I, I don't know how to talk correctly no offense you don't know how to talk correctly very yeah. few people know how to speak properly like we all have this thing called vocal fry which is like yeah. in your throat it's like kind of raspy like I'm, I'm exaggerating but that's how people talk and if you go mm -hmm. listen to some movie from the 50s or earlier People are like bellowing. It's like, how does how does that sound even come from a person? It's like it's so big, it's so loud, but because people don't even speak correctly, you know. Yeah. Um, let alone like grammar and and word choice and vocabulary and all these other things. Like the the physical noises don't even come out right. Yeah. No. There's no clowns back there, and there's no one like intentionally being an ass. They're like every like head of family in those movies are coming in. They're like owning the role like everyone has a role there's like you said standards that's a good way to summarize it i one quick question with that though i see you have the jesus piece um yeah. i do too um, nice. i think that is something that's really um make it made me really happy to see on, on instagram when i started taking instagram seriously spending more time on it all these pages popping up with like more and more younger guys like really leading their brands their personal brands with their faith and I know you and your your wife, um, you guys are, you have big pages and you guys aren't shying away. You guys run businesses and you're not shying away from your faith. Um, when you guys got married, that was awesome. They guys posted pictures of it. It looked like it was a traditional like Orthodox wedding. That's awesome. And I don't think we're seeing enough of that because there's a lot of messages I get when I post about stuff from about Jesus. People are like, oh, I didn't 
I really appreciate seeing this because um, mm. I think this way too, and we're just not hearing enough of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that that's correct, and not not to like dunk on Protestants too much, but uh, and I don't know what denomination of Christianity. I'm Catholic. Have. I'm Catholic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but this is another example of like standards, right? Mm when you don't have a standard of conducting your liturgy, right? There's no process to follow and you just do whatever you want. It quickly devolves into something that's like hardly recognizable and full of laziness and mm. just like makes no sense. Um, and that process of watering down the religious ritual itself is counterintuitively the thing that drives people away from it. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, so a lot, especially Catholics, have been affected by this over the the over recent history, so the past seventy years or so. Um, yeah, where the Latin mass, huh? With, with the loss of the traditional Latin yeah. mass, for instance. Yeah, yeah, and a whole bunch of policies. Uh, like, like I grew up uh, Catholic as well, and I didn't think much of it at the time. But we would have sometimes we would have like a guitar in our church music. Mm. I'm like, and people are like, oh, what's wrong with the guitar? It sounds nice. It's like, no, you don't understand. That's just that's just how it starts. Right. Students right now it's an acoustic guitar. And before you know, it, we got people hang gliding in front of the jumbotron, whatever things in like a sports stadium. Yeah. Um, it's not a concert. Right. But the 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 problem with watering it down is they're like, oh, we're going to modernize it. We're going to make it appeal to more people like, no, you're not, because the people that want you to do that are by definition your lukewarm believers like mm. they're not your core audience they're to use business parlance they're not your target customer demographic right yeah so if you try to appeal to people that aren't your customers what's going to happen well those people are going to remain not customers they're going to mm. at least continue being lukewarm ones and worse you're going to alienate your actual customers the yeah. actual people paying the bills and that's a recipe for disaster, right? Because the the people on the outsides, it's like the sort of um, the, the what is it, the snowball effect or whatever. They'll keep saying, "Oh, do this for us. Oh, relax this standard for us. Oh, we want this. Or yeah. oh, we want that." And then before you know it, you have very little left of your original thing. Meanwhile, the people that cared about your original thing are gone. They've converted right. to Greek Orthodoxy, like me. Or yeah. something, and even then, there's there's problems in the Orthodox churches too, where like there's just continuing, you know, uh, reduction in, in standards, um, and then the people that are left don't give a crap, and then you're like, why mm. does no one show up anymore? Well, that's why, you know, like how cool is our how cool is Gregorian chanting? Oh, like, the best, dude! How awesome is pipe organ, right? How much yeah. more would people want to like go to church if there was like if there were an army of like monks and nuns like chanting and the entire like cathedral is like vibrating from this, yeah. how much, how many more people would want to go to church if that were your liturgy than some like washed up dude in a guitar yeah. or like a choir of, you know, volunteer old people like croaking or something, exactly. you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it makes it, it's very frustrating because like, and this is actually a, a tactic um, espoused by, certain people who have attempted to attack or successfully i might i might add um the church institutions in the second half of the 20th century they actually mm -hmm. know that this is what you do right mm -hmm. you get call on the institution to water down their standards to appease to your bullshit and then when they do that you don't like give in you just keep pushing for more appeasement and then by the time you're all said and done they don't even know where they are their own people have left yeah and you're, of course, not going to ever adopt their faith. And so they basically completely denature themselves. Yeah, they just cannibalize themselves. Yeah. That's the whole thing about a brand is that's one of the main appeals is authenticity. People right. know what they're getting. One of the things that drives me to mass every Sunday is knowing the ritual is the exact same my grandfather did, the exact same his father did. And I get to see and be a participant in that. Well, because so psychologically, you know, too, like uh, a traditional church, like in DC, I guess they probably have one or two shrines. Yeah, no, no. Um, I'm first generation here, but in South America and then in Spain. Oh, so. okay. But yeah, it's it's um it's cool because psychologically, like what you're doing with ritual is it's very familiar. It's like 
a staple of your week. It's like a staple of your day. And and having that um, backbone, both with the ritual and also with the church, makes it very easy to step off. Like, okay, I know what I'm getting when I go into these doors. Whereas if you're constantly adjusting yourself to, like you said, people are sabotaging your brand on purpose, then yeah, you're going to lose on both ends. It's not even so much the change itself. It's just that like all the changes that have been made are literally worse. Mm. Like, the music gotten worse yeah. right the incense or lack thereof worse incense is nice lack of incense bad yeah. the art has gotten worse the stained glass no more stained glass right mm -hmm. or like the art on the walls the stonework the masonry gotten worse yeah right um thinking about language too there's something to be said for the fact that like the liturgical languages of most religious populations is distinct from the spoken everyday language mm -hmm. that people use, right? Yeah. If you are walking around and you conduct your business and your life in English, and then you go to church and it's in Latin, it's it it it, it signifies a level of formality and reverence, just like dressing up in your in your clothes does. Right, you're you're not using ordinary words. You're using special words, just like you don't wear sweatpants to go to church. You dress up to go to church. That's it's good. The yeah, same sort of thing. So yeah. it's not even just the fact that there have been changes. It's that whenever changes have been made, they're they're like not for the best. Right? There's plenty of variation within what one might call traditional Christianity. You know, there's plenty of different architectural styles. There's Gothic, there's Baroque, there are like Byzantine, there's Byzantine architecture, there's Russian architecture. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting to name other styles as well, but there's tons of variation. There's tons of variations in language, in artistic styles too. Uh, like the, the Orthodox icons vary depending on where in the world you go. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Catholic artwork also varies too. It's not that there's no variance, it's just that the modern version is... They just picked bad variation, you know? It's yeah. not like they traded out. It's not like McDonald's, right? McDonald's changing their fries isn't the problem. The problem is changing it for something worse. Like if they had swapped out the beef tallow for bison tallow, you would not be hearing any complaints from me, although technically it's different. But the fact that they swept, swapped out beef tallow for seed oils is the problem. Yeah. Do, do you think in the church's example, the degeneration of quality you you are arguing that it was done on purpose, like by design, by bad actors. Um, I mean, it's yeah, no, it's it's not. Um, I don't think it's secretive, or maybe it is, or I, maybe it is controversial that the enemies of the institution part. One of the ways they wage warfare against it is by getting it to water itself down. Mm -hmm. That is, I think, as as at least in the Catholics' case, pretty well documented. If people know where to look um <clears throat> so yeah i mean think about it you're like hey there's this 2000 year old institution i hate those guys what do I, how do i everyone takes it so seriously how do i attack it right this would be one of your better tactics for doing so um get it to be less of what it is so that even its own people don't support it anymore mm. pretty pretty clear and and the the reference i'm making is um Saul Alinsky wrote a, he was basically he was a, a communist he wrote a book about how to be a good communist called rules for radicals and this is one of the chapters in there Damn, and he's, he's basically saying hey this is what this is how you should do it this is what you do and and that's yeah. what has been done so I mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's also like an element of like karmic retribution where you really do break down someone's spirit if you tell them beforehand like what you're gonna do to them and then you get their permission and then you do it anyways so there's that too at play sure so steven i actually have your masa chips here appreciate Sweet. it by the way um i didn't know if i was going to do this or not but i love all the ingredients here i figured i, I could do like my first tasting oh sure here on the show. go for it dude i wanted to eat this when i got here but i figured i'd save it when did when did we send these over was it recently yeah yeah it was like five days ago or something. oh nice cool good timing yeah man all right these look great it's like it's like you guys didn't skimp it either like it's actually pretty full of chips you gotta get the crunch of the microphone mm -hmm. no the, the fresh crunch yeah that's so good dude 
That's actually really good, bro. This is fantastic, man. Oh, yeah. I want to ask you about this. What yeah. is nixalization or nixamalized? Nixamalization is the traditional Aztec invented process by which you make corn more digestible and prepare it for consumption. Mm -hmm. So there's this, you know, you know how Paul Saladino, for example, might talk about how seeds don't want to be eaten, right? Plants yeah. don't want to be eaten, right? Plants have these defense chemicals that prevent them from, you know, being healthy. Uh, yes, that's true for the most part. And what's also true, though, is that every traditional culture who survived off of eating plants developed ways of preparing those plants that increased their digestibility and routing nutrient availability, whatever. So sourdough bread is a great example. By fermenting the flour using sourdough starter, you make it, it literally reduces the gluten content. It inhibits phytic acid and certain other anti-nutrients mm -hmm. and makes the bread easier to to digest and so the version of that for corn is called nixtamalization you basically boil the corn along with uh sodium hydroxide or i believe or is it calcium hydroxide limestone literally like the rock you crush up limestone and you boil corn in that you soak it you rinse it and then you grind it up and then that thing that ground up nixtamalized corn paste is called mm -hmm. masa that's where the name masa chips comes from yep. and then you turn you can turn that into tor tortillas you can turn that into all sorts of you know traditional central american corn products and as far as the benefits like specifically are concerned so it, it kills a bunch of the mycotoxins that might otherwise be present on unprepared corn it makes one of the B vitamins more bioavailable. I forget. I think it's B1. It might be B3. But there's this disease that, of course, like people who adopt the outs, the, you know, people who adopted corn, especially in the South, there was a, an illness they would get, a nutrient deficiency from lack of this certain B vitamin because they would eat their corn without nixtamalizing it. And so, you know, they didn't grow up with corn. Corn is not native to Europe. And so the Europeans who came didn't realize you were supposed to do this. They didn't do it. And they developed all these nutrient deficiencies. But this, this problem never occurred to the Aztecs because they knew how to properly treat it. Anyway, that is what nixtamalization means. That's what we do. And a lot of corn tortilla chip producers do not do that. Mm. And so you're eating the corn in its less digestible state. And so, you know, you hear the people are like, I don't eat grains, I don't eat corn, blah, 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 blah. Just like gluten the, and bread, the problem is not the gluten itself or the bread itself. The problem is the version that you're eating, which happens to be bad. You know, everyone goes to Italy and it's like, oh, I ate all the bread I wanted and I felt great and I lost 10 pounds. Well, the gluten or the bread that they're growing, like they're making in Italy is, is produced from wheat. That is not some modern hybridized strain. It doesn't have all the pesticides we use. It's not sprayed with folic acid, which is like a quote unquote nutrient, a synthetic nutrient that's uh -huh. not actually absorbable by the body. Designed to replace fol uh, the folate that is removed when you turn flour into white flour. And that's sprayed in every crop of wheat grown in America. Anyways, they don't have that in Italy. And then most of the times the bread is sourdough. And so then you're saying you eat that and you felt good, but Wonder Bread makes you feel bad. Well, I wonder why. You know, yeah, you're not eating the same thing, right? This, this is another thing going back to um, this sort of sensitivity or nuance or distinction discussion. Mm -hmm. Like, there are when when you when you when humans label a concept with a word, all of a sudden, and this is what people sort of mean when they say words have power, right? When you label something with a word, instantly everything that has that word is now the same in your head. Associated, so, yeah. When I say bread, right, all of the things that are called bread are now equivalent. When I say milk, all of the things that are called milk are now equivalent. And so I could be describing, you know, milk from the convenience store that's high temperature pasteurized from some factory farm where the cows are fed soy and pesticide corn and pump full of hormones. That's milk, right? But the Amish raw milk from pasture-raised, regenerative cows, 100% grass-fed, like milked by hand and then delivered to me the next day, that's also milk. And yeah. those two things are not the same. 
they might look similar, you know, or, or butter, same thing. Yeah. But it doesn't even look the same. Like the butter I get is bright yellow, bright yellow. Mm-hmm. And if you go to any store and buy butter, it's usually pretty pale. It's almost white. Those two things are called butter, but they're not the same thing. They're yeah. similar maybe, but they're not the same thing. And so the same thing happens with bread, right? The bread I ate in Italy was bread. And the bread I eat in, you know, at the, at the grocery, at Subway, eat, you know, that's bread too. But it's not the same thing. And by having this such a myopic, short-sighted language without mm. the way to express all this variance, we sort of do this to ourselves. We make it so that that variation is not even possible to be thought of, right? Yeah. Unless yeah. you spend your time nerding out over it. And, and this is kind of what you get, right? In domains where people like have some sort of expertise, a terminology is built around the set of concepts in that domain that allow people to express this nuance. So for example, if I, uh, like, you know, a screw, right? The, the little spiral thing that you've like, yeah. you know, fastened it, right? There, there's screws, there's bolts, there's lag bolts, there's like all sorts of terminology for screws that someone, some engineer or, or builder with mechanical inclinations will have to describe all the different versions of these things. Yeah. Right. Just like metal, right? Most people, if they see, right, what's this red light panel made of? Oh, it's made of metal. What's this Mm -hmm. like drawer of my desk made of? Oh, it's made of metal. Oh yeah. But is it aluminum? Is it stainless steel? Mm -hmm. Is it steel? Is it bronze? Is it tin? Is it brass? Right? Like copper? They have no idea. Is it gold? Right. Um, Wines, you know, there's, red wine and white wine. That's what most people know of. But if you talk to a sommelier, there's a billion, there's Chianti's and Chardonnay's and blah, blah, blahs, right? And each of those expresses a different thing. And if you look at, for example, the number of words people know, right? Our vocabulary is shrinking. And so if you think about the consequences of this, what that means is that our, the number of, the number of things we can think about shrinks. Wow. In order to think about a new thing, you need a word for the thing. Right. So in order for me to think about the difference between the Amish milk that I described and the supermarket milk, I need different words, right? And we, and we sort of have them in the health world. We have raw milk and we have ultra high temperature pasteurized and all these things. But to the average person, again, it's just milk. And yeah. so the lack of vocabulary means we'll fail to appreciate these nuances and therefore be satisfied with an inferior replacement so long as it's called the same thing. Coca-Cola, great example. I learned today that well, I learned recently a few things. First of all, do you know what cola is in Coca-Cola? Cola, just sugar water? Is no, it? What does the word cola come from? Why is why is there cola? I don't know. Well, first off, cola is a nut. Okay. It's a cola nut. It comes from West Africa or something. And it kind of it's kind of it kind of looks like chocolate. Uh, it's a nut that you can crush up and it has certain properties. For example, it has caffeine in it. And it has certain other plant chemicals that help make it like it's good for when you're sick. It actually aids and encourages digestion. Okay. So if you think about all these things, these properties of the cola nut, Coca-Cola or a drink made from the cola nut with carbonated water and for example, ginger, which aids digestion. Yeah. This is a medicinal beverage that I might want to drink after I ate a lot. And it you know helps move digestion along. It's also like a stimulant, right? So it helps stimulate digestion. Now that is a good drink, <laughs> right? And a hundred years ago, that's probably what you were getting when you purchased Coca-Cola. But the Wikipedia article for the cola nut talks about this. It says how Coca-Cola and other competitors no longer even claim to use the cola nut in any of their beverages. Like the cola nut, which Coco is named after. Yeah. Like Coca-Cola is named after cocaine and the cola nut, right? Combine yeah. those things, you get Coca-Cola. They don't even use the cola nut anymore. And I don't believe they use cocaine anymore either. So it's like, it's not Coca-Cola, but it's called Coca-Cola. And so you pull the wool over people's eyes because you use the word Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The association is so strong. You just, right. yeah. That's Coke. Yeah. Obviously it's the same thing. It's, been, it's always been the same. No. <laughs> right. Well, I think the soon. Soon the same thing's going to happen with uh, chips. I mean, you know, people are going to be like, oh, um, right now people have like one idea of chips. Yeah. Think chips. I think of uh, potato chips. Right. Right. But over time, you get more, more um, products like this. People get more introduced to the idea. I think that's why um, people like you 
and need to and you're doing this really need to pump these words back into circulation with a different context for instance um nixtamalization like th that word i've never heard of before but soon enough people are going to know about it so frequently it's almost overnight like 10 years ago i don't think many people knew what a ketone was right but right. now people know what ketones are like over time people just associate new words like you said we need to expand the vocabulary yeah, i think that content's so helpful yeah that's a good that's a good point and that's actually a challenge right that that like i and others have which is like the food quote unquote that you can get at your average grocery store it shouldn't even be called food yeah but if people aren't going to stop calling that food then we need to think of other words to call our thing yeah that signifies something else you know it's actually a challenge right like moss chips are still tortilla chips but you know technically but they're not the same as these other things so right. and, and maybe that's where the sort of um the brand word comes in so an example i forget the name for this but the example is kleenex right mm -hmm. the the kleenex brand of facial tissue became so prominent that people refer to facial tissues as kleenex like my grandma she'd be like oh your nose is running you need a kleenex yeah right so i forget the term for that in marketing but it's it's a good thing when your when your brand becomes so powerful that it's used as the generic name for that concept and so that's maybe where our hope lies here right like yeah. no these aren't tortilla chips they're moss chips what are you yeah. talking about right like <laughs> maybe that that's where we have to go with that's it the tallow chip yeah yeah um so and, and masa chips is actually it's not like kleenex it's not like a made-up word like masa is a real word in spanish and it yeah pretty much is exactly this is exactly right like we make chips out of masa that's what a masa chip is <laughs> that's why i got so excited when i saw it i immediately knew what it was i was like oh my like you're talking about word association this was really strong for me i was like there's no way hold on <laughs> that's cool oh interesting oh so yeah. you're yeah because you speak you already knew what masa was yeah yeah yeah, most see most Americans do not know what that is. They're like, oh, masa, that's a cool. That sounds nice. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, you already knew what it was, and you were like, oh, is that the same masa? And turns out it is. Yeah, I saw three ingredients. I'm like, he did it. So <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, man. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate your time, bro. I really, um, I've been following you for a while. I really appreciate your content. Um, one thing I've always asked guests mm. in the beginning, and I just started again recently is uh the following question if you could have dinner and meet someone who would it be a if they were a real person mm. like dead or alive and be a fictional person oh interesting and yeah just dinner or hang out with them whatever but you have an evening with them um hmm. this is uh, i yeah let's let me think I'd probably answer. I mean, these, 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 this type of question is always bound to end up with like generic answers. I feel like, mm. um, I guess you could say, I'll, I'll do JFK. Fine, fine. I'll do JFK. He's my real person. Nice. Uh, JFK is my real person. And imagine you mean like a fictional character, like from some like movie or book or something yeah or a movie yeah okay uh we could do aragorn from lord of the rings let's go there <laughs> that's awesome that's what yeah it's a real hero yeah for sure did you read the books yeah i've read the books i i actually preferred the movies um which is probably po quite possibly controversial i mean everyone always is like the movie the books are always better whatever it is lord of the rings harry potter this or that but i actually think the movies were better specifically around their portrayal of Aragorn personally mm -hmm. like in the movies Aragorn is like a, he has more depth than in the books right from the first minute you meet Aragorn in the books he's like I am Aragorn son of Arathorn I will be king of Middle Earth again and I'm going to reclaim my rightful throne and blah 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 mm -hmm. and then you know the, he just he just goes and does it there's no like character development in my view there Whereas mm -hmm. the movies, you meet him and he's like the sort of tortured soul trying to like run away from his destiny and then ultimately, you know, grows into the the position and then like finally fulfills that and accepts his like duty or whatever, yeah. which is very, very different than than the books. And so I think that's like a, a big loss 
that the books or a big thing that books miss in that regard. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like the Gary Cooper strong, silent type. Yeah. I mean, there's just no, like, there's no personal struggle or change or whatever. So it's, it's, um, I guess it's less, I hate to use the word relatable or like, it's less of an example or it's less of, it's less, there's, there's less that you can like learn from this as a normal person, Mm -hmm. right? Like good stories have people who like overcome some issue and they like grow and change as a person and that and then it's not like they just show up and then they do the they do a b and c and then win it's like there has to be a transformation of the character in Mm -hmm. order to accomplish the winning you know um and that's that's a big distinction just like and this is the the criticism and it's interesting the criticism of like the modern star wars movies uh like the the girl ray i guess that's her name yeah i've never i've only watched the first of those by the way i refuse to watch the others but i, I know enough <laughs> that happens like she shows up with her skills already developed yeah like there's no growth there's no especially personal growth it's not even it's not even like learning how to be a jedi right like the actual the original star wars movies have this whole narrative of like not only does luke need to learn the physical skills right there's like the the personal failings that he must overcome, the impetuousness, the mm-hmm. immaturity, like the 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 whininess that he has yeah. when he was younger, he has to like overcome those qualities and like develop as a as a develop his character as a person. Yeah, you know, in addition to learning the skills that he needs to learn, and so that is like an example of a good character. But if he already like knows everything and already has the character traits and what that that's not like a character, that's like an NPC basically. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's protagonist, it's still an NPC. Yeah, it's one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah. we, we want to see the depth. You're so right. That's funny. I think you you might uh, like this, but I recently was talking to someone, and Lord of the Rings came up. Uh, we were talking about the existence of God, mm-hmm. and we were talking. It was pretty philosophical, and we were talking about like maybe the utility of God is more important than proving the existence of God. I just happen to believe in both. And then he goes, he he was really arguing against the existence of God, and I go, think about this. You have the Shire, you have Gimli, you have all these things, every blade of grass in that Middle Earth. There's not one word that mentions Tolstein, but he's present in the whole thing. Like, this oh, is- that's that's great. That's a great right. analogy. So that's it, that's like one way I phrase it. So that that came to mind. That's really that's really smart. Did you make that up? That's a great. I no. I, I, if someone, I think someone was telling me some similar metaphor. It was different books, obviously. Sure. Right? I mean, the, the the concept is that's a great concept. I've never yeah, heard like that argument everywhere. before. That's really good. What did your friend say? Um, he liked it. He was like, "Oh, that's really good." Reflected. Yeah, that is that's, really good. That's great when you talk with like spiritually healthy people who uh, are open. Like he he's uh, agnostic. Like he's not atheistic. He doesn't have the ego. I like to think. But um, yeah, it's good to talk about. I this. mean, it, it, like the atheist position is pretty like indefensible. Because, like, something started the universe. Yeah. Like, okay, the Big Bang, it's still God. It's still God. Just you called it Big Bang. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like, some force created the universe, obviously, because we're right. here. And you can't have something that came out of nothing. Right? Yeah. And so if someone started, if someone created the universe or something, some entity created the universe, then your job as a human is pretty obvious to first identify that entity and then do whatever he wants because if he is powerful enough to create the universe he's powerful enough to make your life really freaking miserable if he wants or really great if he also wants and so you should figure out who it is and then do what that person wants you to do or do what that entity wants you to do yeah like now that that that's like a, a level of argumentation you know certainly like prior to like oh which religion right but mm-hmm. the goal should be the, the goal is pretty obvious. Like figure out who it is and then figure out what he wants you to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think like you said earlier with the whole food sensitivity thing, the step one is recognizing a problem, recognizing that yeah. there is one, then you can fix it. If for you you think you don't have a God, you really do. It's whatever you value you hold above the rest. That's serving as your de facto god. Yeah, that's whatever you're worshiping, certainly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah they they might not think of it as like a god because oh money didn't create the universe which is obviously true but you might still worship money Mm -hmm. 
but something created it, right? Who set off the Big Bang? That this is a this is a a fun way of uh, I heard this at, at some point I forget where. Basically, the modern rationalistic quote unquote um, worldview, like it came out of this idea that people were sort of dis uh, disenchanted with the idea of miracles. Mm. They didn't like the fact that miracles could exist. So instead, they created a system where you just you trade all these tiny little miracles from you know Jesus or Moses and the burning bush and the Red Sea and a world of all these tiny miracles. You trade that for a worldview that just has no small miracles, but one big miracle. And the big mm -hmm. miracle is the Big Bang, right? Because it's still a miracle. There's no explanation for that. But people yeah. are like, oh, there's no miracles in science. Well, there is. There's just a, hu a huge, a huge miracle. <laughs> you just ignore that because it's just one of them. But you, yeah. So you ignore it most of the time. But you still have a miracle. Like there's yeah. no worldview that enables you to have no miracles. So and it, it's really quite silly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Stephen, I really appreciated the chat and it was uh, what took some pleasant turns. I really liked it. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, same. Uh, thanks for having me on. Of course, brother.